being able to show my work and say, this is why I made these choices and here's how I started making healthy choices and here's how I have assurance that I have set up in my life structures and edges to keep me going in a good direction so that I have assurance not only in my heart but in my relationships that I'm not going back to the place where I was. I'm Angela. And I'm Chad. And we discuss issues that couples face in everyday life. Then we set you up to have a conversation with your partner that's designed to bring you closer together. This is the Connecting Couples Podcast with the real Emhoffs. Real conversations for a real connection. Here we are in episode nine of our addiction series, heading into the fifth and final of these components we've been talking about that build a scaffolding around recovery around sobriety, around making the decision to cut out some possibly abused or dependent behaviors and substances and start living healthy. And this last one of all the five is one, again, that is layered into the other ones have to happen first before I think you can really embrace it. And that is telling your story, owning your story, being able to understand who you are and what made up the person that you are. And this is one I think that man has been instrumental in my health is being able to discuss not only what led me to make some of the unhealthy choices but then showing the long division i like to tell people you know carry the one drop the zero an extra line here cross out borrow uh being able to show my work and say this is why I made these choices, and here's how I started making healthy choices, and here's how I have assurance that I have set up in my life structures and edges to keep me going in a good direction so that I have assurance not only in my heart, but in my relationships that I'm not going back to the place where I was. Man, and I, I got to tell you, uh, this is not my favorite topic. Mm. You know, and I, like, I just, it's like, oh, what we're going to do now is talk about all the hard things. Mm. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. Like the way my attachment style withdrawers, avoidant, if you want to call it that, like it it says, I don't, do I really need to talk about the painful stuff? Can't we just talk about the positive (laughs) stuff now and just move forward and things be good and forgive and forget? I think though, Chad, it's so valid what you're saying because it is what our culture promotes. Yeah. Our culture promotes keeping the hard stuff private. Yeah. No need to make other people feel uncomfortable. I no agree. Need. We don't want to blame <laughs> anyone, not our yeah. families of origin, not people who have hurt us in the past. We want to make sure <laughs> that everyone is respected almost to our own demise. Hey, you're speaking my language. Are you saying that's bad? It was interesting for me when I started Celebrate Recovery, gosh, in 2006, a really long time ago. And I was working through the consequences of some really bad choices I had made, going through a divorce, really trying to unpack how did my life break down? And in that environment, people shared their testimonies. And I remember one of the very first nights I was there, this person got up and for 20 minutes talked about all the impossible things, their addiction to pornography, how their marriage had ended. And this was somebody who had been in ministry. And I was like, um, that person, I, I, are they going to... Are you a, guys hearing this? Are gonna... What is happening? <laughs> this is not okay. You know? And at the end, everybody 
applauded and encouraged. And even I found myself like having this unimaginable empathy and compassion for this person. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is different than anything I've ever experienced. Right. Yeah. And then even like getting into some Brene Brown stuff, I really love her work talking about vulnerability and learning how to embrace the hard parts of our story because we can't the way she words it, divorce ourselves from those hard parts. They inform and influence yeah. who we are. And when we don't tell the whole story, sometimes we don't present as congruent people. We present as like something's missing. Have you ever met someone and you're like, hmm, why is there something off and I don't understand what it is? Because there's a missing piece <laughs> that they potentially haven't even been able to identify. Well, and I think you made me think of like Paul Harvey and that's the rest of the story. Yeah. Like a lot of times we want to present the positive, the good, the these are my accolades and I've got diplomas on the wall and I've got yeah. pictures of times when I was on vacation, but we don't take pictures or get certificates about the struggles we've been through. Mm. And I, I think it's important as much as we don't take pictures or get certificates, some of us get, I guess, records, but yeah. that we don't display those. Yeah. And if we don't integrate those into our story, into our life, if we don't have a way to kind of um, understand it and know that we were affected by it, they end up kind of running us yeah. at times. And so really what we're talking about is, do I have a way, when I think about our story, do I have a way, or my story, do I have a way to integrate that into who I am yeah. and have awareness that some of these things that I have done to kind of cope might have been or probably were in response to pain in my past that I didn't know what to do with. Yeah. And so for me, I'm going, how do we, or how do I let myself tell my story, which actually I did last night in front of like 300 people. How do I tell my story and, and kind of own who I am and the hard things I've been through and the stuff that was messy and nasty. And then also own the part that's good, the things that come yeah. out of all the stuff that recovery and, and sobriety and healthy living, if you want to call it that, provide. Yeah, That's how I get to this other place. Our bodies are designed to hold on to hurt. There's a book, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's true. Our bodies are designed to keep us out of hurt. Yeah. So if we've been through hard places and we've been hurt and we've got parts of ourselves that we hide or that we're scared of or that we're ashamed of, my gut, my heart, my body will take me away from those things. Yeah. And a lot of times it takes me to something that provides comfort. And if it wasn't something I grew up with in my family of origin or even as an adult that I didn't know how to find at times. And I went to something such as uh, alcohol or drugs or pornography or uh, control, Whatever. if you're thinking yeah. about codependence. If I go to those things in order to keep myself feeling okay and safe, my story and when those triggers, those things from my past come up, will lead me right back to the yeah. same comfort, the, the same behavioral triggers. thing yeah. Yeah, that, that I've always kind of gone to. So story is a huge part of what we're going to have to do when we start to think, hey, I want to get healthy. I have to go back and organize and find some congruence with who I am and where I've been so that I can understand why I kind of did the things I did. Otherwise, we're only left with shame about ourselves. Well, then I'm just flawed and I messed up and I do this bad thing. 
You know, I think about our culture in the last two years or five years or even 10 years. I feel like our culture is moving the needle in a better direction of addressing mental health issues, acknowledging things like anxiety. I think the pandemic gave everyone permission to say, this is traumatic. We're all anxious. This is really hard. We all feel isolated and disconnected. But I I believe that regardless of what our culture does, our family of origin and what we learned overrides even some of what the cultural implications are. Because regardless if the culture tells me that therapy is okay or counseling is okay or you can say you're depressed, in my family of origin, depression isn't a, isn't a word that's defined. And so you choose joy and you go back to work. That's what happens. And so in my soul, even if I want to say, hey, this is part of my story, I have to first, again, here we are with the scaffolding, be able to have an awareness of what influenced me, be able to understand what is still internally influencing me from embracing the whole part of my story. And I think that family influence is a huge one. I think about in my process how hard it was for me to identify some of the hurts that come from my childhood because I felt like it was dishonoring to people in my past. Yet, it's my story to tell, and I have to first embrace where those hurts came from. And I think that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with. I hear it when I'm talking and working with people who are victims of something that's tragic. They want to be able to say, this is what happened, but it implicates the person who did the damage. And now there's a balance of how do I respect that person, especially if there's been some sort of forgiveness or remorse or repentance or, you know, correction. It's a little easier if there hasn't been. You can, you know, kind of say, hey, that's a, you know, bad thing from a bad person and I can cut that off. But there are other people who have been hurt by somebody in their family of origin and they don't want to bring it forward and they don't want to tell or they're embarrassed or protecting. And I think that's really hard then to own pieces of your story when it possibly does damage to someone else's story. Right, right. And I'm, man, I'm, I'm thinking about action versus inaction. And I think this idea could get really theoretical. Even even as culture, sometimes they're trying to do a good thing by saying, you need to tell your story or own your truth. And I think sometimes they don't really tell you how to do it. Yeah. And, and so part of me, like as I start to think about story, I just want to say all of these things build and all of these things without a community around you, without knowing yourself and knowing how to care for yourself and guardrails in your life, you don't really want to go to this fifth one until you have the first four done right? You need people to support you. And really when it comes to action around it, I think there are a few ways we could, we could talk about it. And you and I have done both all of these. And so uh, I'm kind of stealing a little bit from different places, AA therapy, um, even just books that I've read on the topic of it. But the first one I want to talk about is is just sitting down with a a piece of paper and saying, what is my timeline? What is my story? How did, where did it start? And kind of going like, first memory, year five, whatever that is. Where was I when I was five? What do I remember that? Year six, what do I remember about that? And Tell a chronological through. story of your development and growing up. Yeah, sometimes a story feels like I've got to write it out. I'm like, just events. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't want to make this hard. I want to make it like as like practical as we can yeah. possibly do it. It's like, initially, I think it's just like, organize the timeline of events in your yeah. life. And, and 
I love it because I'm like, I want you to get to the place where you can tell the whole story and have a succinct start, though, with some milestones. Yeah, exactly. Take milestones and lay them out on five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, however old you are. Best moments, a couple hard moments, you know, things that were really memorable. Put them somewhere. One time about what my favorite vacation was as a kid, including some of that stuff. I'll even have somebody come back and do a grief timeline and then work grief into that. Work other things. Were there major, you know, we talk about attachment injuries and we'll talk about that in the next episode actually regarding addiction but in general in my upbringing were there some major severed attachments or hurt relationships and where did those show up what were some maybe negative influences I've talked about it before but I think about being bullied in elementary school and that made an impact on me that is on my narrative that's on my timeline being able to kind of lay it out and and therefore see it understand it add clarity to my brain of how it worked out that helps my body embrace what my journey has been and and again action i want rubber meets the road how do we do this (laughs) tangible yeah yeah. because i think people get very theoretical about this stuff and i'm just saying like can you start to go through and make a timeline? Well, I was thinking about the idea of community and relationship, which was number four before we got to this one. When you have established a community that embraces your process, you have a place to kind of process the story that you're learning how to embrace. You have a place to start saying, hey, this happened to me, or this is something that I'm learning about my past that I'm trying to integrate into who I am. I'm not encouraging you to go publish a, you know, article in a newspaper and tell Memoir. everybody, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm about to write my whole entire life journey. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is start with those few safe people that you've built. I think that's one of the great things about whether you're going to therapy or whether you're in some sort of recovery program or community. Yeah. You have someone who is a built-in person that is going to validate and accept your process and that is a great way for you to at least start to work through the parts of your narrative that you are okay with and the parts that are hard and you might need to get more clarity around or get help in understanding for sure i mean that's i i almost it's another little disclaimer i'm throwing in here you are too actually it's like don't do this alone Absolutely. don't move don't do this fifth one alone you need somebody who's a therapist or a sponsor or a friend mentor spouse yeah. somebody who gets your story right who who will who will be there for you support you care for you and if it's too much stop yeah no don't do any of this if it's too hard but but i think it is important to kind of like organize your story or begin to organize it let's say you've done a timeline and you want to move on and say okay i want to dig into some of these events some of these bigger hurts wounds places i've been hurt a really another practical way to do that is what we call an inventory it's a 12 step yeah. thing and you can go to a 12 step program and ask them about it or uh, i'll lay it out quickly you really think about what are the things or people that have hurt me in my life what was the damage done to me how did that damage affect my life? What was my part in that? Who do I need to work on? Do I need to go forgive or work through that in a different way? And I'm like, I'm not going to lay all that out right here, but I'm like, there is a process of like saying, okay, what are these yeah. things? If, if you look at your timeline and go, that event needs to be 
further sorted explore. out. Dug sorted into. out. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's not clear. One person hurt me and one person also took me to Disney World or whatever the <laughs> thing is. The same person. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. sometimes it's not all really clear. So there might be a close relationship that you have to like pull apart a little bit. And I may need to go say, hey, I forgive you for this and I'm sorry for that to the same person. Yeah. But but really digging into that story and kind of getting some congruence in how you see the world and the people around you. I think about in the therapeutic avenue, if we're sitting on the mental health professional side of it, a lot of times we want to help a client understand their view of themselves in some of these events. And I think as you're talking about this narrative, those milestones, some of those events that might have been hard that you're trying to work through, a great question to ask is, how do I see myself because of this? Yeah and really start to understand, are there moments in my story where I see myself in a way where I've, you know, this is a language we've used, where I believe lies or things that are untrue about myself. I believed a big lie that I was unlovable, that I was mm. unable to be in a committed relationship and make it work, that I was, I mean, my divorce did yeah. a number on my heart and my view of myself. And I had to work through a lot of yeah. that and realize that that was just a really unhealthy relationship and I was an unhealthy person in it. Yeah. And I had the ability to start to embrace some of the unhealthy things and move them to a healthy place. I mean, we're going to talk about this at the end of this series, but the hope that we want to just bring across this, if you're watching or listening, is all of these worst case scenarios are redeemable. All of these relationships that have any of these addictive, abusive, you know, substances, yeah. behaviors can be redeemed. It takes work. Yeah. It takes a yeah. heck of a lot of work, and but they are ahead. redeemable. I was going to say, I, I love what you're saying. And it's like, if I can start to recognize these lies that I have believed, whether it's like, I'm unlovable, I'm too much, I'm too needy, I have to be okay on my own, I'm a failure, and I have to hide that from people, whatever you're believing in these places. Yeah. And it's hard to even get to that truth, by the way. But a lot of times, that has to be an internal thing. Yeah. Like, I can't say... Angela, you're believing lies and you just need to choose this other thing without Angela saying, Hey, that's a lie. That's not true. It just sounds like I'm confronting her. And so this is a tricky thing for couples. This is a connecting couples podcast. I keep saying that, but I'm like, <laughs> and we want couples to be allowed to kind of talk with each other yeah. about these things. And we want to give them a context to do that. But this particular piece where I start to examine how I view myself, I need to come to that awareness, that lie on on my own and kind of internally, and then I need to present it to my spouse, then I can get feedback. And when, by the way, I give feedback to how he is presenting himself, a lot of times, I'm gonna say 80% of the time, I'm just throwing that percentage out there because most percentages are made up on the spot. 90%. There you go. Um, <laughs> a lot of times the partner will try to talk them out of the thing they just vulnerably shared, like, oh, you shouldn't feel that way about yourself. <laughs> I don't feel that way about you, therefore you shouldn't feel. And that doesn't do the trick. What they need to hear is, man, I have felt something similar to that about myself. And I hate that feeling. Yeah. And I hate that you feel that. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything I can do to help you feel better? There's that comfort that I'm providing. I'm sure we have talked about empathy and responsiveness. I, we have, Go listen we have. to that whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to something you said a minute ago, though. And that is that you can't overdo this. You have to be able to pay attention to your body when it's saying, 
too much. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, I have yeah. had people come in and say, oh, well, I'm ready to get sober. I just got out of rehab, and now I'm seeing a therapist twice a week, and I'm in a 12-step program, and I jumped into another community group, and I've got something seven days a week and twice on Sunday, and I'm like, slow down. Your body can only take in so much process at a time. You will burn out. And that's not the same as like 90 meetings in 90 days. I encourage that for people who need to connect with community. But to start to unpack an inventory, to start to share your narrative, to start to dig into some of the deeper hurts and wounds in your life, it is taxing on the human soul. And we do have to have community built in, and we do have to have some self-awareness of when our body has reached its limit for the day, and when we need to do some comfort, and when we need to do some fun stuff, and then when we need to come back to it. We are not going to fix any problem that we have in our life immediately. It is probably going to take just as long to fix as it did to break, and that usually is a pretty long time. Yeah, and, and giving yourself permission to be in process for a long time. If you are going to sit down to do this kind of work, whether that's a timeline or some form of inventory or forgiveness work, which we could talk about further, yeah. plan and know what your self-care acti- activities are. Plan to do your timeline in the morning and then give yourself something that you enjoy that's self-care. Go for a run, a bike ride, play some music, whatever you enjoy. Something that feeds your your brain, your body. I'm like, we need yeah. to know that, okay, this I'm going to take on this load of, of dealing with my past, the things that have hurt and that hurt me. And so I'm going to have to feed myself also. So don't do this if you don't know what self-care you like. Yeah. Don't do this if you don't know. You don't overlook. Don't plan to get it all done in a weekend. That isn't how it normally works. I also want to make sure that you know we're not saying that you share your whole story with all the people. Right. There are people out there that haven't earned the right to hear your whole story. And I believe that it's really important that you know how to discern or filter who gets all the details and who only gets some of the details, I believe, based on their ability to take it in or respond. Chad and I work in a field where we often lead with our past or lead with some of our experiences, and that works for us. But we don't expect anyone to have the level of authenticity or vulnerability that we do. It's part of who we are and what we do. But so I always try to encourage somebody like, I want you to know what your limits are and what you're okay with sharing. And that doesn't mean spilling out your whole guts to the attendant at the grocery store, but it does possibly mean (laughs) in your small group of safe people, are you really seen and do they really know you? And that brings us to our connect point. The Connect Point is designed to help you have a different conversation about how you experience your relationship. Small adjustments lead to big change over time. Take some time to practice with us now. So coming into this Connect Point, we want you to take some time and consider your story and think about it in terms of years, the timeline maybe. Are there some years that you wish you could remove from that timeline? And if there are, Maybe share that time with your partner. We don't have to go into the specific details of what happened in that time, but I think it's worthwhile to say, hey, there were some hard times in my life, and they happened in this period. I definitely have some of those. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So now it's time for you to consider your timeline and then share it with your partner. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, one of the best things you can do for us is to share it with another couple that you think could benefit from it. 
You can rate us and give us a review on your listening platform. And you can follow us on our Facebook page, The Real Emhoffs. If you want to support our nonprofit that makes resources available for couples, you can check out the Ways to Give tab on our website, therealemhoffs.com. We love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to message or email us with ideas you might like us to talk about or the ways that our ConnectPoint conversations are impacting your relationship. Thanks Thanks again. again.